Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a couple of weeks since we had our last episode. It hasn't been for a lack of uh, things going on in the sports world, but more a lack of consistency in the sports world. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We are going to talk all about the recently announced uh, upcoming changes to the college football playoff. Going to talk about what the changes are going to be, what it's going to mean, and do a little pro-con on, uh, on, on the new playoff system that we're going to be having. Later this week, after probably on Wednesday or Thursday of this week, we'll be dropping uh, a weekly episode to just talk about what's going on in the world of Atlanta sports, specifically the Braves uh, taking on the, the, the Red Sox the next couple of days. Uh, and the Hawks playing game four against the Sixers tonight as I record this uh, on Monday afternoon. That game, game four happening Monday night at Phillips Arena or whatever it's called now. Um, there, I have wanted over the past few weeks to put out an episode, but there's a little bit of a lead time that it takes. Some research that has to go in, I, you know, whether you can tell or not, I do spend a little bit of time preparing for these episodes. And each time, specifically with the Braves, each time I prepared to get some statistics together, which that, that's happened about twice over the last three or four weeks, get some stats together and try to draw some conclusions on what we've been seeing with the Braves. Things change so quickly that what I was going to say is no longer relevant. So one way or another, later this week, I am going to draw some conclusions on the first 60-plus games of the Braves season. Uh, and so we will be doing that later. And then obviously after game four tonight, we'll have some idea whether or not the Hawks are going to be heading back to Philadelphia facing elimination or if they head back tied 2-2 with the uh, top seed in the Eastern Conference, perhaps being in danger from this upstart Atlanta Hawk team. So that is what is coming later this week. But today it's all about the college football playoff. Uh, this is as excited as I have been since they announced the original playoff in the, uh, before the 2013 season. So we're going to jump into it. We're going to start off a little bit just talking about the playoff itself, how it's going to work, and then I'll start trying to convince you that it's as exciting as I believe it is. So that's what we're doing today. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get going. We'll start today's episode simply by saying what we are talking about. If you have not heard, if you've been living under a rock, about a week ago, the uh, the college football playoff announced that they had a working group comprised of only four individuals, but those four individuals may be the four most powerful people in college football. They submitted a report to the full uh, playoff committee. This is not the same committee that actually picks the teams, but it, it's the committee that runs the committee. Uh, so uh, just trust me, it, it, it's important people. But the key to this entire situation is they made the report that they are submitting to the larger committee public, which means they fully intend on changing and expanding the college football playoff. So for those who are not uh, familiar, Let's do just a quick kind of brief overview of the changes that have happened and as they have happened over the past few years. So dating back to the early 90s, uh, there were there's been few different ways of doing things. I don't want to get too 
bogged down in, in the old bowl system because it, it changed every couple of years. There were different agreements with different bowls, with different concepts and stuff. It, it was a very, you know, from the mid 80s to the, the mid 90s, really, there was just a lot of up and down and, and a lot of movement. But what the old pre-BCS system gave us was split national championships. And that was something that as we progressed into the later part of the 90s, that college football wanted to get away from split national championships and be able to crown a singular national champion. So the first year of the BCS was 1998, Tennessee, just to tell you how far things have changed. Tennessee and Florida State played in that first BCS championship game um, with Tennessee winning the national championship with T. Martin. So from 1998 up until 2014, the BCS is what we had. And the whole point of the BCS, and it, it changed a little bit as they started trying to, you know, have teams qualify for the other New Year's or, you know, the, the big bowl games that they kind of uh, designated the, the bigger games every year. But the point of the BCS was very simple. We want number one versus number two in a national championship game at the end of the season. And no matter how you feel about the methodology of the BCS, that was the point. And more often than not, that is what we got in the old BCS system. Now, now what we have moved into and starting in 2014 was the college football playoff time period. So we are in that college football playoff era now where you have a committee. The committee has a primary job and then a secondary job. The primary job is to find the four best teams in college football and put them into a four-team playoff at the end of the season. The secondary job is to create interesting matchups in the New Year's Six. So before the college football playoff in the old BCS days, you really had four BCS bowls that you were trying to fill out. And a lot of those had conference tie-ins and things like that, going back to the rows, uh, having to have Pac-12 Pac teams, B Big Ten teams. So a lot of that was kind of worked out on its own, and they had this complicated system that if one of your teams made, you know, if an SEC team made the national championship game, then the Sugar Bowl would get to pick their team ahead of this team, and there was a rotation. It was really kind of complicated. And what ended up happening was – the national championship game most of the time featured the top two te teams in the country, but the the secondary bowls were not nearly as compelling as the bowl kind of community wanted them to be. You had a lot of blowout games, a lot of just not interesting games. You know, because of the tie-ins with the conferences, you always, or I say always, many times you would have, you know, a really good team that's playing in the Orange Bowl against kind of a mediocre team. Meanwhile, a, a really good team's playing in the Sugar Bowl against a mediocre team, and you've got a really great team out in the West that's playing in the Rose Bowl that's playing against a mediocre team. And so you just didn't have the matchups across the board that, that were intriguing. And so the national championship game would get a lot of viewers, but the, the other BCS Bowls, not so much. So when they came out with the college football playoff, they wanted the committee, after they picked the top four teams, to take the other – four New Year's Six games and create interesting matchups with those. So give us the best games possible. And I think, by and large, we have seen that the, the committee do that. They've been able to produce for us very interesting games more often than not. Now, 
every once in a while have there been blowouts, of course, but even the blowouts sometimes are interesting. So we've seen variety. You know, Georgia has been, you know, obviously to the Rose Bowl when they made the playoff, but Georgia's played in, in the Peach Bowl. Georgia has played in the Sugar Bowl. Georgia has played in the Cotton Bowl. So those are all interesting things for Georgia fans over the last few years. It has not just been going to Tampa and playing an Outback Bowl every year. So, it, it you know, just from our narrow fan base point of view, it's, it's been very interesting. Let's talk about the proposal that is being submitted. And when I say it initially, your, your initial reaction may be, whoa, 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 that's way too many teams. But let's talk about why the number that was announced last week was 12 and why after my initial reaction of, my gosh, they blew right past eight and they went to 12. But when we talk about why they did it, I think you'll agree with me that 12 is not only a good number, 12 may be the perfect number. So here is the way the 12 teams will be qualifying for the college football playoff when it expands, which at this point, there's no set date, but it does sound, most reports feel very confident that this is going to happen beginning with the 2023 season. So two years of the four-team playoff in 21 and 22, and then starting in 23, we will expand the playoff and 12 teams will make it. Here's how they're going to identify the 12 teams. The top six ranked conference champions across college football will make the playoff. So in a normal year, you will have the the five power five leagues, the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-10, 12, and the Big 12. They will all have their champion represented most likely. Then outside of the power five, the, the, the group of five will get a champion in. Now, that is how it would typically happen. The interesting part of this is there is no guaranteed spots for the Power Five champions, which means that if, let's say, we're going to pick on the Pac-12 a lot today because they are the ones that have underwhelmed the most since the uh, playoff began. If the Pac-12's champion, let's say, has three or four losses, they may be ranked lower than the American champion and maybe the Conference USA champion, which means they could miss out on the playoff altogether. So just because you are a major conference champion, a Power 5 champion, it does not necessarily mean that you are going to qualify for the playoff. Now, in reality, looking back over previous years, that really probably won't happen it will most likely be the Power Five conference champions make the playoff plus one group of five champions. But it is important to note that that is not a guaranteed spot for the Power Five, which I think is interesting uh, as we kind of talk through this. You can see where concessions were made, uh, and, and then you can kind of understand why those concessions were made as we start analyzing maybe why some of these things happen and then the, the, the benefits of how they have it set up. So that's how half of the 12-team playoff is going to be comprised of conference champions. The other half, the other six, are going to be the six highest-rated teams out of the final college football playoff rankings. There are no limits, and there are no minimums tied to conference affiliation. So you could theoretically have a situation where you have your six, let's say it's the Power Five plus the, you know, the American champion. 
you have six more spots. You could have four SEC schools and two ACC schools. And the only representatives from the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 could be the champion. That is allowable under this system where you have a 12-team playoff that has five SEC schools and three ACC schools and then conference champions for everybody else. That could happen. There's no rule stopping it from happening. Now, would it happen? Probably not. But the fact that it is possible was, I believe, why the conferences were comfortable with, hey, you don't have to guarantee our champion to be in doing it as the top six conference champions, the, 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 the six highest rated conference champions, that is going to get us where we want to be. We don't want to cap. You know, in the old BCS days, you couldn't have more than two teams from each conference be in the BCS. And what that meant was, is a lot of times, as I was talking about earlier, you had teams that really weren't the best teams in the country playing in the supposedly biggest bowls because the SEC can only get two teams in. Well, if you have a, you know, if you have a Alabama that won their conference and you have a Georgia sitting there that maybe had one loss to that Alabama team and you have a Florida team that didn't make the conference championship, but they only had one loss and it was to that Georgia team. Well, you've got three probably of the top five teams in the country, the way I just described that, but only two of them could make the old BCS because you had rules on conference affiliation. No rules here about who those six teams are. You could just go straight through the rankings, pluck out your conference champions, everybody moves up, and the top six teams are in, and that's how we're going to do it. So I really like it because when you are then taking those 12 teams that have qualified for the playoff, well, now we're going to place them in a bracket. And this is where I think the genius of this system really comes in. There are essentially three tiers in the playoff it, it, uh, of the 12 teams that have made the playoffs. You can kind of group them into fours. The top four seeds will all, by definition, have to be conference champions. And they will all get a bye in the first round, okay? The teams five through eight can be conference champions, and or they can also be the at-large, one of the six at-large teams. But teams five through eight will get to host a home game at their home stadium. Teams nine through 12 are in the playoff, but they will be going on the road for the first round. So one through four, first round by five through eight home games, nine through 12, you're in the playoff and you get it. You have a shot. So that is how this playoff is going to be constructed. Twelve teams, six, the highest six conference champions, that's six teams that are not conference champions, that are rated the highest after the conference champions have been taken out. And then as you get into the bracket, four buys, four games to be played, five will play 12, six will play 11, seven will play 10, eight will play nine with five, six, seven, and eight hosting playoff games at their home stadium. So that is the proposed 12 team playoff. Now, I want to dig in a little bit and we're going to use some examples from the last two years and talk about what a playoff would have looked like in 2019 and in 2020. All right, we're going to talk through uh, about 
three examples, well, two examples, and then we'll visit one more example here in a few minutes. We're going to start with 2019 as the, the, our first example. It was more of a traditional year. Take your second. Let, let's remember how the world felt in 2019 before we knew what was uh, coming in 2020. LSU undefeated, uh, eventually undefeated national champions, but they were undefeated. So was on Ohio State. So was Clemson with Oklahoma. Uh, being the other team that made the college football playoff that year as the one-loss Big 12 champion. The team that was ranked fifth was Georgia. Now, that Georgia team got blown out by LSU in the SEC championship game and also lost at home to South Carolina during that 2019 season. So, Georgia, if they really were the fifth team, there wasn't much debate. So, really, in 2019, the top four were pretty clear. You had all-conference champions. It really wasn't controversial at all. You know, Georgia fans, some of them might have wanted to say, well, well, we could have beat Oklahoma. And after Oklahoma got blitzed by LSU, well, maybe Georgia could have beaten Oklahoma. But they couldn't beat LSU, which was the point. And they had just had that opportunity uh, at the SEC championship game and showed that they, they didn't belong on the same field. So the top four in the playoff, in the 12-team playoff that we're talking about now and using 19 as the example, the top four stays the same. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. Georgia's five. Oregon is six. Baylor's seventh. Wisconsin is eight. Florida is nine. Penn State, 10. 11 is Utah. And then Boise State is the highest-ranked group of five champion. They are number 12. So that gives you matchups that sound a little bit like this. You've got Boise State at Georgia. So, okay, Georgia fans, let's pause for a second and understand that in 2019, had this 12-game playoff been in effect, the week after the SEC championship game, which I guess would have been December like 12th or something like that, Athens gets another home game. Boise State comes to Athens to play Georgia in a college football playoff game on campus. So the revenue for the city, the ticket sales for the university, all of that stuff, you get a college football playoff game at home. Boise at Georgia, Utah at Oregon, Penn State plays Baylor, Florida plays Wisconsin. So Florida going on the road to play in Wisconsin where it will probably be 14 to 20 feet of snow, somewhere in between that range. Uh, that would have been interesting to see. So that's the way the playoff shakes out that year. Obviously, I'm not going to try to project brackets. That's pointless. It, the point is to show you what you get in the first round and then how the buys work out uh, in the new system. So 19, I think is kind of the, well, this is a simple year. Do we really need all of this? Because as I said, the 14 playoff to me worked out pretty well. And honestly, had you just had Ohio State and Clemson play each other and the winner gets to play LSU, that, that was fine. That's all we needed. Those were the three best teams. Oklahoma just really didn't belong and as it turned out LSU was just heads and shoulders better than everybody that year you could have made them play in the 32 team playoff and it wouldn't have changed anything LSU was going to win the national championship but 2020 gives us some variables so let's talk about that the playoff as we remember was Alabama ranked this way Alabama Clemson Ohio State and Notre Dame now by the new playoff that's being proposed Notre Dame not being a conference champion could not have been one of the top four seeds. So in the new system, the way it would have looked last year was you'd have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Two loss Oklahoma was the highest ranked conference champion outside of the top four. So they slide in as the four seed. Those teams get the bye. Then in order, 
Notre Dame is five. A&M is six. Florida is seven. Cincinnati is eight. Georgia is nine. Iowa State is 10. Indiana is 11. And this is why I wanted to talk about 2020. Your number 12 seed, Coastal Carolina. So in this scenario, if this was last year, if you remember the Pac-12 championship game, USC went into that game as the favorite, but they lost to Oregon. Oregon beats USC. USC drops down. Let me pull it back up here. In the final playoff rankings, they were ranked 17th. So Oregon's final ranking was 25th. So we said there was no tie-in to conference affiliation when it was about getting into the playoff. It's the top six champions. Well, last year, the top six champions were Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, and Coastal Carolina. So in last year, if we had a 12-team playoff, the Pac-12 wouldn't even have got a team in. And that is why this is interesting. Because as much as you think, okay, it's just going to be the Power Five plus another team, it wouldn't have happened that way last year because you had an upset in the Pac-12 championship game. Here's the first round games you would have gotten. Coastal Carolina at Notre Dame. Indiana at Texas A&M. Iowa State at Florida. And Georgia, the number nine seed, going on the road to play at Cincinnati. Now, we know that was a very tough game in the uh, Peach Bowl last year. Georgia ends up winning late on a last-second field goal. Does Georgia go to Cincinnati and win that game? In the conditions that they would have had to deal with, uh, you probably don't get the opt-outs. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Georgia going on the road in that situation. So, yes, Georgia makes the playoff, but they're that 9 through 12 seed, so they have to go on the road for the first round. That's a very interesting playoff using last year's model. So I think it's I, I think it's very interesting. We're going to talk about one more season here in just a few minutes. Um, but I think what you get is some interesting matchups and you really get more inclusion. So we're going to talk about some of the pros. We're going to start with the positive. We're going to talk some pros. We will talk some cons, but let's start with the pros. Let's be positive on the podcast this week and talk about what I believe are the most positive aspects of this new proposal. All right. So maybe I'm just a simple-minded guy, but the number one pro here is more football that matters. And I'm not just talking about the playoffs. I'm talking about the regular season as well. Right now, we have a grand total of three playoff games. You have the two semifinals and the championship game. In this proposal, we have 11 playoff games. Now, you might tell you might say if you're old school, you might say, well, that's too many. Why? How many playoff games are there in the NFL? How many playoff games? I mean, think about when you talk, start talking about the, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. We're right in the middle of that right now. There's games every day. Talk about Major League Baseball. You've got all these different series. So why is 11 playoff games a bad thing? To me, that's 11 opportunities over the course of a few weeks to say, hey, I have I, I got to sit down and watch this game. Yes, it's Coastal Carolina at Notre Dame, but Coastal Carolina is undefeated. I'm not 100% sure how good Notre Dame is. What if Coastal Carolina beats them? What then? So, to me, more playoff games is a good thing. Now, the bigger piece to this, and, and, and one of the biggest criticisms that you'll hear, and we'll talk about it and I'll address it in a few minutes, is what it's going to do to the regular season. 
I don't think that's a valid argument because teams have something to play for after their second loss. I'm going to revisit our examples that we used. In 2019, you would have had seven teams make the playoffs with two or three. Wisconsin was ranked number eight that year. They had three losses. One of them was at the championship game. But you had seven teams with two or more losses make the playoffs. Last year, you would have had five teams with two or more losses make the playoffs. The reality of college football, the way it is right now, is that if you are a any team, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you from Alabama all the way down to the last team in you know, the 130th team in major college football, once you lose your second game, you can't be a champion, period. You just can't. Maybe you can sneak in and win your conference, and that's great. Or, you know, a division championship is not out of the question. But there are teams that are eliminated, completely eliminated from contention, you know, by the middle of September, by the middle of October. Now, teams will still be a middle eliminated quickly if they're not very good. There's a lot of teams that start the year out and there's no way they can win the national championship. You can't fix that. But think about how many teams will be sitting on two losses at the beginning of November with the reality of, hey, if we get hot and win out, we can make the playoff. Let's go back a second and talk about the fact that we had all those two lost teams that got in. You can get on a heater late in the season. Think about Georgia last year. After the cocktail party, the first week of November, every Georgia fan knew there was nothing to gain. The season was a complete loss. I did a podcast on it. We talked about it. There's nothing to gain. It's not to say that it's a complete and utter failure necessarily, but basically on November, I guess it was November 2nd last year, or whatever day the game was, as soon as that game was over, Georgia was thinking about 2021 because there was nothing that could be accomplished in 2020. If you at least get into a playoff, we get to answer the question that a lot of Georgia fans were asking. A lot of just college football fans were asking at the end of the season. Could Georgia with JT Daniels have made a run? Now, there's no way we'll ever get to answer that question, but that Georgia example from 2020 is why this is a good thing. It will reward teams that get better over the course of the season. Right now in college football, you have mega teams with just the best teams, and you have to be the best from the beginning to end because you can't slip up more than one time. And if you slip up more than one time, you're out. And that's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what you really exclude is the opportunity for a team to be really good at the end of the year. And, you know, being a Georgia fan, I can cite those examples really easily off the top of my head. But think about 2007. Now, this is pre-playoff, okay? So this is going back a long way. But you can't tell me, and, and nobody will ever be able to convince me, that at the end of the 2007 season, Georgia wasn't the best team in college football. The problem is, at the beginning of the 2007 season, they were not the best team of college football. After they beat Florida, stormed the field, there was no touching them. They were on fire. And I believe you could have had a 14 playoff. You could have had an 18, 12 team, 24 team. You could have put as many teams as you wanted in a playoff that year. And I believe with all of my heart that Georgia would have won the national championship had it gotten played out on the field rather than narrowing the BCS down to LSU and Ohio State. And that's the only people that got a shot that year. So 
Georgia would have gotten that opportunity. And, and I think that's the point, and, and not so much just about Georgia, but just in general. It rewards a team that finds itself. It rewards a team that, you know, like, like Oklahoma last year, they were really, really good. I believe they could have actually given, a, you know, one of the playoff teams, any of the playoff teams, a decent game. But they lost two games early, and they were really out of it from the beginning. There was no chance they were going to get back into it. So that's number one. You know, it also, I think, because more football that matters, because you have these extra games uh, in the playoff, you also, and essentially, you know, if you're thinking about it the right way, the playoff essentially is going to replace the New Year's Six altogether. So in those biggest games, you're not going to have the opt-outs. If you're in a playoff game, you're not opting out. You're going to play those games. The other thing that the reason that it's more football that matters, games in October and November, as we've already said, are going to matter. You're not going to have the opt-outs with the New Year's Six. And it makes the group of five matter a lot. So when we're watching the the teams in the American and the teams like Cincinnati last year, UCF a few years ago, um, Coastal Carolina last year, these teams have a path to play for a championship. And while I am not a fan of any, you know, my, my fandom is in the SEC, so that's where my bias is. Think about nationwide whether it's the Mountain West, whether it's the American, whatever, the, the, the MAC, think about the fact that somebody in one of those conferences could have a team good enough to make a run. Do I ever think that team will win the national championship? Will Coastal have won the national championship last year? No. You know, would Cincinnati be able to beat Alabama last year? No. But you know what? At least they would have lost it on the field rather than never having an opportunity. Because that's the part of this that it, it drives a lot of people crazy is that, yes, Alabama was the best team in college football. They proved it last year. They, they handled Ohio State. They handled Notre Dame. They showed that they were the best team. But they didn't beat Coastal Carolina. Not that they had to, but the playoff shows you win it or you lose it on the field. And, and I have just really fallen in love with that idea. So – the group of five matters because those guys from the beginning of the year can tell themselves, hey, we could have a shot to win a national championship. And that was never the case before. Now, expand that out a little bit and understand that from a recruiting standpoint, a recruit could think, I can play in the college football playoff and go to Coastal Carolina. How does that change a recruit's mindset? You don't have, If you want to play for a title, you don't have to go to – Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame. You don't have to just go to those teams. You can go and play at any school in the country, in the Power Five or the Group of Five, and if you're good enough, you have a path to the playoff. You don't have to win your conference. You can get in, and if you're good enough, you can win it on the field. That is a seismic shift in the concept of what college football is, and I think it's for the the better. I think it's awesome because I don't think anybody has enjoyed the fact that the the unintended consequence of the college football playoff in the four-team playoff has been if you're not in the playoff, like we've seen with Georgia the last couple of years, you have mass opt-outs, and then nobody really cares about those other bowl games. So we've narrowed it down to where all that matters is the, the, the semifinals and the final, well, now we're going to expand it out so more football that actually matters is happening at the end of the year. 
So that was the first pro, more football that matters, playoff and regular season, because November is going to be wild, wild. It is completely logical that most of the teams ranked in the top 25 on November 1st have a legitimate opportunity to make the playoff. Think about that. Think about how awesome it is that that is the case. Number two, it places an emphasis on winning the conference championship. This has been something that I have grown more and more frustrated about through the playoff years. Back in the old BCS days, when you only were going to get the top two teams, it wasn't about conference championships. It wasn't about, it was, the, I want the top two teams. And as much as it chaps everybody's butt, in 2011, Alabama and LSU were the top two teams in the country, and they happened to play in the same division, but obviously there's an issue with that because now we've excluded 99% of the country from caring about that game. So when we moved into the playoff era, having four teams with five power conferences was set up to be stupid from the beginning. And I understand you had to take baby steps. And I think it is telling that the BCS lasted from 1998 to 2014. And this iteration of the four team playoff seems like it's only going to last from 2014 through 2022. So it's obvious that we have much quickly, much quicker. We have determined, Hey, there's a little bit of a problem here. Whereas with the BCS, it took a much longer time to get to that point. But it needs to reward the best teams the way this method does, but it also needs to make the conference championships mean something. So as an example of this, we're going to talk about a year that is near and dear and bitter to my heart. Most Georgia fans that are going to be listening to this, you will understand. We're going to talk about 2017. So we all remember painfully that in 2017, the top team undefeated that year was Clemson. Oklahoma was number two, Georgia was number three, and Alabama got in over Ohio State as the number four team. Georgia beat Oklahoma, Alabama beat Clemson, and if we'd have stopped the game at any point other than, you know, about the last four minutes of the uh, fourth quarter of that game, Georgia was going to beat Alabama, but uh, we will, we'll just keep moving here. In the new playoff method, this is how that playoff would have worked out. Clemson's one, Oklahoma's two, Georgia's three, Ohio State, who got left out of the playoff because of their loss to Iowa, a substantial loss, but they would be the next highest rated conference champion. They would be four. Those teams get your buys. Alabama's five, Wisconsin six, Auburn is seventh, USC is eighth, Penn State nine, Miami, that's that Mark Rick Miami team that was undefeated going into uh, I think their last game of the season, they ended up losing the last two games of the season and got blown out by Clemson. But that's Miami at 10, Washington at 11, and UCF, the uh, champions in their own minds, UCF would have been in number 12 as the highest, uh, the sixth highest ranked conference champion. Okay, that's the bracket. This is what it gives you in the first round of the playoffs. So this is excluding the teams, the top four that get buys. UCF at Alabama, Washington at Wisconsin, Miami at Auburn, Penn State at USC. I'm going to read those off one more time. I want you to take a second and think back to 2017. UCF, who claims a national championship that year, they have a banner up, plays the what ended up being the national champion that year, Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. Washington and Wisconsin, 
that probably was the Rose Bowl that year. I don't remember, but I don't know. Miami on the road at Auburn. Do you think the people in Auburn would be excited about having Miami come to town? And then Penn State travels across the country to play USC. That's fantastic. Now, let's project that the top four teams win that, that just the favorites win in the first round. This is what you get in the second round. Clemson and USC, Oklahoma and Auburn, Georgia and Wisconsin, Ohio State and Alabama. This is why the playoff is awesome. Because if you are objective, and I tell you that Clemson and USC are playing, or Oklahoma and Auburn are playing, or Ohio State and Alabama are playing, you think, oh, that's the national championship game. And you say, no, that's a quarterfinal. We get more interesting college football. And I cannot stress this enough. That is a good thing. More interesting games is good for everybody. So while the conference champions still get that emphasis, which in that year would have really hurt Alabama, which I think a lot of people look at that 2017 Alabama team and say they didn't even, you know, same as the 2011 team, they didn't even win their own division. How are they national champions? Well, if you make the playoff and you, you know, if you're Alabama that year, you beat UCF, then you turn around and beat Ohio State, then you have to turn around and beat a Clemson, then you have to turn around and beat Oklahoma or Georgia. If you do all that, nobody's questioning whether or not you're the national champion. You've earned that on the field. And by the system that's in place, Alabama earned it on the field. That way, I guess what I'm saying is you take away all of this doubt because you've rewarded the conference champions with the buys, but you've allowed a team like Alabama who, you know, they lost to Auburn that year and it it cost them dearly. You give that team another opportunity. And I, I don't see how either one of those things are, are bad. So the tiered system with the buys, the home games, and then just being in the playoff, I think really does balance all the concerns about expanding the playoff this far. The number three thing that is a pro about this is it opens the door for teams to improve, like we were talking about with 2020 Georgia, 2007 Georgia, but it also opens the door for Cinderella. Now listen, I don't think there is a chance that given the example last year, that Coastal Carolina would have gone on the road to beat Notre Dame. But if they did that, then they would be taking on Oklahoma in the quarterfinal. And if they managed to beat them, they would have gotten to play Alabama. We love Cinderella's in the NCAA tournament. We love it. And why in the world would we think that college football would be any different? So you've got the Power Five team that finds itself mid-year and is hot and is on fire at the end of the year. That's a positive. But then you have these teams. You know, I don't believe this is true, but what if UCF would have beaten Alabama in 2017? What if they were the best team in college football? Nobody will ever give that team credit for that, but they never lost a game. What if? I don't think that's the case, but now we would know. We don't have to guess. And in 2021, or I guess in 2023, we won't have to guess anymore. Number four, another positive thing, another pro. It's still the most exclusive playoff in America. Now listen to this. As a percentage of teams that are competing that end up making the playoff, Major League Baseball, 27%. The NFL, they've just expanded the playoffs 
So you're going to get seven teams from each conference now, 14 total. That's 44% of the teams in the NFL make the playoffs. In the NBA, now that they've – well, I'm using this year the with the uh, the play-in tournament that they had at the beginning, that's 67% of the NBA makes the playoffs. The college basketball tournament, 19.4% of college basketball teams make the playoff. College baseball, we're in the middle of qualifying for the, the college baseball World Series this right now. 21% of the teams make the 64 field, 64 team field for the college baseball championship. The current college football playoff model, 3%. 3%. Four of the 130 teams make the playoff to qualify to win the national championship. Under the proposed model, that percentage will skyrocket up to 9%. The college football or the college basketball tournament, 68 teams for 350 Division I programs, 19.4%. The proposed playoff, the 12-team, my God, there's no way we could have this many teams in the playoff. We're weakening everything. It's still twice as exclusive as any other American sport playoff. So, yes. Is, does exclusive exclusivity matter in college football? I think so. And that's why expanding the playoff only to 12 doesn't hurt that at all. It keeps it the most exclusive by a mile. And when you compare it to any of the professional sports, there's still so many. It's so much less as far as a playoff goes. Number five, and I've got, just in case you were wondering, there's seven of these. Uh, number five is we're going to have different arguments but there's still going to be plenty to fight about. I, that that was one thing, you know, I really enjoy the Andy Staples show. And Andy and uh, Ari Wasserman had a, a, a long podcast on this this week. And I really enjoyed listening to it. And they've talked about it a couple of times. But in kind of talking about the playoffs, you know, Ari was concerned that, hey, we're not we're, – the, the arguments are so much fun, that four or five argument. And Andy made the point there's, there's going to be plenty of things to argue about. First of all, you got to – Think about the tiers. You got to decide, okay, who's the top four that get the buys of the conference champions? Now, sometimes that'll be very clear. Sometimes it won't. You're sitting there thinking, well, most of the time, the, the fourth best conference champion is pretty obvious from the fifth best conference champion. Well, yeah, maybe. But I think a lot more times what we see is the number one and number two best conference champion is pretty cut and dry. And everybody else is just kind of grouped together there. You know, like think about last or I guess think about 2019. You it's hard. I'm sorry. Think about 2020. It's kind of hard to distinguish. I mean, yes, you had Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State. Oklahoma had two losses. Cincinnati was undefeated. Do you think in that scenario, does the, the committee give Cincinnati a bye? They were undefeated. Oklahoma had two losses because that's the argument at that point. The fourth best team that's a conference champion, There, there's only 10 conference champions. You have the power five and the group of five. So you take those 10 conference champions, you're going to lop it off at the top four. That's how you just determine the top four teams. Then those two conference champions, you have to place two more in the playoff, but they are going to be interspersed seeding-wise with the six at-large teams. So the arguments are a little bit different there because – Again, nobody's going to doubt whether Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State would have been in the top four last year. But I think there's a pretty solid argument that 
Cincinnati could have made as a group of five team of undefeated. We're better and should deserve that, that buy. Well, then go the other way. Now we're talking about a couple of conference champions being interspersed with six other at-large teams. But only four of those teams are going to be playing at home. So how do you determine those are arguments? How do you compare, you know, maybe a non-conference champion that only has one loss to a conference champion with only one loss? You know, because they're not talking about weighting the conference championship as important. It gets you in. If you're a top four seed as a conference champion, it gets you a bye. But just that's not a tiebreaker when you're analyzing one team versus another. So there's an argument to be had there. Think about eight, nine. Think about the fact that the two teams we determined these are eight and nine, but one of them's going to have to go on the road to play the other team. There's a nice argument there. And obviously, whoever is the last at large in, and you do this with the NCAA tournament, we always talk about who's the number 69 team. Well, who's number 11 or 12, however it works out? Who's the last at large to get in? And who was the next at large that would have gotten in? So there, the, the arguments are going to be different. They're going to be a little bit more tiered, a little bit more complex, a little bit more nuanced, but that's not bad. It's going to be more fun. I talked about better later season games, and that was on number uh, one reason, more interesting football at the end of the season. I think what we're going to really see out of this is more interesting football all season long. Georgia has been heading in this direction. You're going to see better regular season matchups, better non-conference matchups are going to start being scheduled, I would think, very, very quickly. Because losing, you know, if the playoff were a thing this year, Georgia losing to Clemson or Clemson losing to Georgia really would not define that season. What it would do is it would take programs, both of those programs that expect to be in contention for a championship this year, and very early get them some big game experience. Because when you talk about the playoff, if you are not one of the top four seeds that are getting that by, you have to win four games to win a national championship. Now think about that. A college football season is 12 games long. You have to go through another third of the season to win a national championship. So if you're five through 12, you got to win four more games. That there are times that college football teams make the playoff, and I am absolutely talking about Ohio State right now. They don't play four big games all year, and they're going to have to be up three or four times to, to win a championship. It's going to matter if you have that big game experience. It's going to matter that your team is battle-tested, knows how to go into an environment and play, knows what to do when they get punched in the mouth by a good team. So. The coaches that want to win at the highest level, they're going to have to schedule those games. Then the other side is the the next tier of programs, your middle, you know, kind of from the 15 to 30, those programs in college football, they want to play teams. They want opportunities. So you're not going gonna to see the mega matchups like Georgia and Clemson. You're going to see some really interesting matchups from there in the non-conference. You know, you're going to get a team, and I'm, I've not written this down. You may be able to tell because I'm kind of stumbling through it a little bit. But you're going to get like Tennessee playing Oklahoma State. That's interesting. You're going to get a team like Miami playing a team like Auburn. I talked about that being something a minute ago. That's, that's interesting. You're going to get a North Carolina playing a Florida. 
Those are the games that you're going to get, and that's interesting. It's going to make the regular season more interesting because teams are going to have to earn their way in. And you're going to earn your way in by winning, and you're not going to be killed for losing. And so playing those bigger non-conference games are going to be a benefit for you. My last thing is, as a, a now very proud season ticket holder, my last thing is this, the idea that one day I will be able to walk into Sanford Stadium for a college football playoff game is mind-blowing and exciting, to say the least. Now, I'm hoping Georgia's one of the teams that gets the bye every year, but the reality of this situation is more often than not, under Kirby Smart, Georgia would have been in the playoff. In fact, if you work it back, 17, 18, 19, and 20, the last four years, Georgia would have been in the playoff. So the idea of home playoff games in that first round, there is nothing, nothing like a big game in a home stadium in college football, whether you are the road team or the visiting team. We saw that here in Athens. When Notre Dame came to Athens, it was the biggest thing that had happened in a very very long time. The idea of a Miami going to Auburn, the idea of those matchups we talked about just a few minutes ago, playing these games on campus is absolutely huge. It is going to make for absolutely amazing environments. And, and if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that those environments matter that some of the best parts of sports, whether it's talking about any sport, you're talking about a team sport, you talk about golf, you talk about tennis, the crowd, the energy, the atmosphere surrounding the event itself should never be taken for granted again. And the idea that we're going to be playing playoff games on home campuses is absolutely a positive in this proposed playoff scenario. All right. Well, if I didn't sell it hard enough, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, about this proposal, but let's talk about some cons because I could think of three. Con number one is that it it absolutely changes. It doesn't ruin anybody that you hear trying to shock you into thinking that it ruins the college football regular season is uh, insane, and that is putting it lightly, but it absolutely changes the way the regular season works. Because right now, I, I, I had a couple of examples that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. 2017, Ohio State loses. Uh, I believe they were at home by double digits. Maybe they were on the road, doesn't matter. But they lost to Iowa uh, embarrassingly. And that ultimately is what kept them out of the playoff. Even though they ended up winning the Big Ten, that regular season loss to Iowa cost them a chance to be in the playoff. We talk about the kick six. That was pre-playoff days. Now, obviously, if it was a four-team playoff, Alabama would have gotten into the playoff that year. They were undefeated on the road at Auburn, ended up losing the game on the kick six, ultimately ended up losing the division to Auburn, losing the conference championship uh, because they didn't win their division, and they were out. And Auburn played Florida State in the last BCS championship game. So in this scenario – at least Auburn, you know, that moment doesn't matter as much. The kick six isn't that sort of moment because instantly everybody understood Nick Saban's not winning the national championship, period. 
And that was a big deal. Obviously, it changed. I mean, Alabama most likely was the best team in the country that year. Whether or not they would have beaten Florida State, that was Winston 2013 Florida State. They were pretty stinking good. But that would have been an interesting game to see. So it devalues the regular season. The other example was 2019 uh, Georgia losing at home to South Carolina. That was basically the difference between Georgia and Oklahoma at the end of the year. But then if you want to go all the way back to 2007, Georgia lost bad on the road at Tennessee, lost at home uh, against South Carolina, picked up two early losses. So before the middle of October, lost two games. By the time the season ended, uh, they were, as I said, the best team in the country, but those early season losses hurt them. So you can make both sides of that argument. So if you're going to say, hey, it's good because early season losses don't kill you, you can say, well, now losses don't kill you. And that has been one piece. And that, you know, probably the defining piece of college football is that the rivalries, the hatred between the teams, all of those things are derived from the fact that losing sucks because usually it rips apart all your hopes and dreams instantly. One loss can change everything. You know you're better than that team, but you screwed around. You let them stay in the game, and now you lost to them. And not only did you lose to them and you have that guy at work you're going to have to hear talk about it, but now you're not going to win your division. Now you're not going to win your conference. Now you can't win the national championship, and you're the best team in the country. So that's gone, and, and, and that, is, that is a real con. That's the only con that, to me, really, really matters. I do have two more on the list, but that is it. And, I, and to that, I will say nothing's perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. And, and no matter what your age, you can go back as far as you want. The old bowl system, and this was something that Andy and Ari talked about on their podcast, people usually idealize whatever they grew up with. Whatever, at some point in your life, you've decided you college football is the greatest thing in the world or baseball or whatever your sport is or whatever we're talking, you know, anything. You idealize something from your childhood or from your youth and you, you always think it was better than it actually was. There's talk, uh, there's documentaries about Michigan and Ohio State in the 10-year war between Bosha and Beckler and, you know, and uh, I forgot the Ohio State, Woody Hayes, and how that game every year mattered for a decade because one of those teams was going to go play potentially for a national championship and make a bowl, and the other team was done because the way the balls were then, you won your conference or you were or, – or, or no bowl. And some people say, oh, man, the, 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 the BCS, the playoff, all of this, it's just – it's ruined the bowl system. The bowl system sucked. That sucked. It just did. It wasn't good. The fact that you had split national championships, the fact that you were playing somebody from your regional territory rather than playing – there's obviously two best teams, but God forbid one of them play in California and one of them play on the East Coast. They couldn't possibly play each other at the end of the year because they – California team's got to go play in the Rose Bowl, and the team over here's got to go play in the Orange Bowl. So I guess we'll just have to call it a tie. That sucks. Anybody that thinks that was better is an idiot. You cannot believe that just not being ha having a whole season and not resolving who the best team is by any kind of logical way. You can't think that was better. Now, New Year's Day was better. I've heard a local guy on the radio here in Athens talks about how 
the real problem with the BCS and you know, and and then ultimately college football playoff is that you've just ruined New Year's Day. New Year's Day used to be college football. It was all that mattered on New Year's Day. And I agree with that. That's fine. But it wasn't a good way for crowning a national championship. One day, one awesome day of football does not negate the fact that you get to the end of it and you go, well, maybe that team was the best. That's stupid. Not to mention, let me just explain something to you. This year, the SEC championship, like the championship weekend in college football, as my calendar comes up slowly, championship weekend is December 4th. That's Saturday, December 4th. That's when you're going to have all your conference championship games. You know what the coolest weekend in college football is about to turn out to be? December 18th this year. You know why? Because that's when the top four teams are going to play the teams that won the first round. They're going to play each other. You're going to have four playoff games on a single day. I imagine you're going to have one kickoff at noon, one at 3.30, one at 8, one at – I don't know. Maybe they'll play one on Friday night. How awesome will that be? You got a Friday night game, then you go three on Saturday. I don't know how they're going to schedule it. You know what I do know? I know what I'm doing that day. I can tell you right now, in 2023, what I'm doing that day. Not because Georgia will be in it, and I'm so sure we're going to be. No, no, no. It's not about that. I watch the playoff games every single year, and so do a lot of other college football fans. And in the middle of December, that's going to be amazing. And no matter what you think about how the bowl system used to be, or, man, the BCS was perfect, or this, the four teams is perfect. Listen, there is no perfect. but This is going to be really stinking good. Now, number two con. And this is actually something that I think is going to change. And and I was thinking about this, and I haven't read this anywhere, so I'm just going to take credit for this idea. Uh, I'm not saying nobody else has had the idea, so if you've heard it or read it, don't try to, you know, accuse me of plagiarism. But right now, they are talking about using the bowls to play what essentially are the quarterfinals. So I think a problem, one con with this is those top four teams that get buys don't get home games. And, you know, just coming out of the food service industry, I can tell you there is significant revenue tied even for just a Chick-fil-A or a single Zaxby's or whatever. You know, I mean, there, there, there might be a bar or two here in Athens that would benefit greatly from an extra home game. So I think a problem with this initial proposal is that if you go neutral site for the what is essentially once you've gotten the first round out of the way and you're down to the final eight, that's when the top four teams come into this. And I think it's a problem that those teams don't get home games. So the revenue from a money standpoint, you're basically saying there's more money in being the fifth team than the fourth team. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it's going to work out. I, I don't know what they're going to do about that. I do think the reason that it will start out that way is because they have to figure out a way to get the peach, the cotton, the orange, and the Fiesta Bowls on board here. Because essentially what I think you're going to have is those bowls are going to happen in the quarterfinals. And then you're going to have the rose and the sugar be your semifinals, and then they'll, they'll keep doing what they're doing with the national championship game going from city to city across the country. Ultimately, when the TV contract is there because they have, so sorry, I skipped a step here to start this before 2026. They have to get everybody who has a current stake in the, the financial stake in the system to sign on, to change anything before the contract is up at the beginning of the 2026 season. 
So that means the peach, the cotton, the orange, the fiesta, the rose, and the sugar all have to be on board with this. The only way they're going to be on board with it is if they are still involved. Ultimately, I think what you're going to see with the new contract that comes, um, so the other, you know, you have the college football, you have the university, uh, the college football playoff has to be on board, the university presidents and, you know, all those people, and ESPN. Now, the easiest person in the world to get on board is going to be ESPN because, as I said earlier, you go from three playoff games to 11. That is money, 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 money. That's a lot of eyeballs they're going to sell. They will pay out the nose for this. So ESPN is going to be all for it. That's why it's going to happen. But I think what you're going to see after the first three years, so 23, 24, 25, to fulfill the current TV contract, you're going to see those games still be a part of this. I think what will ultimately happen is that the first two rounds, so the 5-12 round, that opening round, That'll be played on campus, and then I think those top four teams are going to get home games. I think that's ultimately going to happen. And then you go into, okay, now we're going to play the semifinals and the championship game at neutral sites. I think that's what should happen. I think that would be awesome. I think it gives the most reward to those top four teams. Not only do you get a buy, but then you get to host. I, you know, that's that that's over the moon. So that's perfect. I think they'll change that. I haven't heard that the reason uh, they haven't done it that way from the beginning are the contracts with these other bowls, but I think that's probably what it is. The other con, the only other con I can think of is what happens to the bowls. So we've already seen, and I talked about it a little bit earlier, the current bowl system, if you're not in the playoff, you just don't matter. And, you know, while people watch the bowls and, and, and they all make money because of television viewership, interest in those games is just little to none. And so there's no doubt that by expanding the playoff, you're going to further that. So you've got more playoff games and the playoff games matter a lot. Outside the playoff games, nothing is going to matter and it's really going to hurt the bowl system. Here's the thing. I don't care. I don't. I don't care. Because the reality is, and I can say this with all honesty, I didn't care about the Peach Bowl last year. I didn't care about the Cotton Bowl the year before, and I sure as heck didn't care one bit about that Sugar Bowl in 2018, beginning of 2019. I didn't. And you know what? Neither did the players. And that's why Georgia lost to Texas in that Sugar Bowl. That's why... Georgia beat Baylor. That was cool. I don't care. I, I remember George Pickens had a lot of catches. I don't remember anything about that game. I remember hanging out with friends and having a good time. I don't remember anything really about, I mean, the, the kick to win the game last year. That's what I remember that Cincinnati game. And it was just a few months ago. I don't care what happens to the Bulls because I don't care what happens to the Bulls now when my team is in the bowl. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything that we won the Peach Bowl or that we lost the Sugar Bowl a couple years ago. It doesn't matter. It matters jumping off to the next season, which was the point I made earlier. But it doesn't matter at all for that season. Nobody ends this season. Kirby Smart didn't come to a podium at the end of last season and say, well, we lost to the best two teams we played. We lost to our arch rival in Jacksonville. But, you know, it was all made better by that Peach Bowl win. He didn't say that. He wouldn't say that because he doesn't believe it. And even if he believes it, he wouldn't say it because nobody else in the world thinks it matters. So the bowls already don't matter. So the fact that this is going to further kill the bowls, it's you're killing something that's already dead. So you're really not losing anything whatsoever. So 
I named a lot of pros. I tried my best to be balanced here. The reality is there's no balance. You can't just manufacture it. This is a great idea. My only regret is that it's not starting this season. We're going to finish up the podcast today, and I'm going to give you one more reason. Most of the people that listen to the podcast are Georgia fans, so let's talk just a little bit from a Georgia standpoint. Georgia, more than any other team in the country, is going to benefit short-term from this playoff expansion. Georgia, the story of the program under Kirby Smart has been the inability to beat Alabama. Uh and maybe it still will be a problem. Maybe the fact that Georgia can't beat Alabama just means that eventually in the playoff every year they run into Alabama. But Georgia was the fifth best team. They would have made the playoff in 17. They just got left out in 18. They just got left out in 19. Last year, the 2020 season, was the first time that Georgia wouldn't have hosted a home game under the new format. So Georgia has perennially been one of the better teams in college football. But it just hasn't clicked. Georgia hasn't shown that they're capable of perfection. And maybe that's what this year is. I mean, we've, we've got a lot of time to talk about it. But Georgia's going to be very, very good this year. But the reality is only a few programs have shown that they are able to do that perfection thing. And you have to have everything line up just right. And really, it's kind of one of those you have to do it the first time, and then it starts feeding into itself. Because for Georgia – the offense has just struggled behind the defense. The defense has been excellent, but it's an offensive game now, and the offense hasn't been able to keep up. So whether that's Jim Chaney's fault or James Coley's fault or it's the fact that, you know, Jamie Newman opted out last year and it left us with DeJuan Massis, Destin Bennett, and we finally got a healthy um, quarterback at the end of the year, and then we saw that Georgia was a lot better when they had a healthy quarterback. Surprise, surprise, when it's the most important position, not just in college football, but in sports – the most important position in sports when you have one that's healthy and good, JT Daniels, man, the team looked a lot better there at the end of the season. So if you're a Georgia fan, no matter how much you might think instinctively, woo, this is a big expansion, this is a lot of change, embrace the change. Understand it is a big expansion, but man, I have got to give college football credit. And that is where I want to leave you today is the fact that if this proposal, even if in its current iteration, even though I have a little bit of a problem with the top four teams not getting home games, even in this cur current proposal, this is going to be fun. If you love college football, this is going to be so much fun because November is going to be absolutely crazy. Crazy! Game day will have some choices in November. Because it might be that the most important game on a given Saturday has nothing to do with the top five, six, seven teams in the country. It may be the fact that you got to go and you got to watch UCF play. I don't know who they play, but they, you know somebody like UCF and Coastal. Because if they win that game, they're most likely going to win the conference. And if they win the conference, they're going to be in the playoff. It's going to change college football for the better. It's going to make it more inclusive you know in the history of the 14 playoff 11 teams have made the playoff that's it since 2014 teams, 11 different programs have made the playoff if the 12 team playoff were in effect 39 different programs would have been able to say they made the college football playoff that's awesome in the college football playoff the, the current situation 
Texas, USC, Penn State, Florida, Auburn, Texas A&M. None of those teams have made the playoff. Do they suck? No. But they haven't made the playoff because it's so exclusive. Listen to a couple of these teams that would have made the playoff. Arizona, Colorado, Missouri, UCF, Coastal Carolina. Those teams are making the playoff under this new system. Now, I don't care about those teams. I'm not a fan of those teams, but it's pretty cool for the fans who are, right? It keeps more people interested for longer, and it gives us more really fun matchups. And even if they end up in blowouts, even if we end up with the same champion, won't it be fun getting there? It's not all about the destination. Sometimes it's about the journey. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I will be back later this week. We will lament about the Braves. We will hope for the Hawks, and we will check in on everything else going on in the world of sports. We might even get a little U.S. Open preview uh, out from Tory Tory Pines in San Diego. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, and as always, go dogs.